Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rothermans. I'm JJ Artimez. And I'm Andy Kanick. And today, Andy, did you bring your trumpet? No. To play taps. We have a catastrophically bad announcement. If you should have given me more notice. <laughs> you should have given me notice. Well, I don't think that we... I don't know. We started ramping up to get into the meat of things. People are expecting talk about video games, and you're going to give them a murder. I am going to give them a murder. The murder of the Noclip podcast, and the culprit <laughs> is... J.J. Artemis. <laughs> <laughs> I have murdered the No Clip podcast. You've murdered the No Clip. The, the No Clip podcast will probably recover from its injuries, but uh, <laughs> this is a very um, round and about way of saying uh, we're making some slightly temporary, not temporary, arguable up. What's the word for that? Where it's like. A hiatus, not a hiatus. Man, you're walking around this. I am taking a break from podcasting in general in my life because I have jobs, plural, and a master's degree. I like taking a break from podcasting in general. Yes. The words that you just said uh-huh. imply <laughs> that you do more than this one podcast. Have you confirmed? I didn't, actually. Do you have another podcast? You will have to find it independently. <laughs> oh, no. I will never... On it's new no cliff RNG, uh, <laughs> not RNG Jesus Christ, ARG, not random number generation. The, the no clip RNG will be figuring out who else will be here for the coming future sessions That's of no clip. Uh, yeah, realistically, this is just JJ making Andy and I's life a little bit harder, mm-hmm. uh, as or we, potentially a little bit easier. Yeah. We, <laughs> I think the overall result of this is that we're just going to release the main podcast less frequently than we currently do, which if you've been listening to us for like more than a year, you're probably like, oh, again, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is, yeah, oops. But that's why we did No Clip Pocket was to make up for the difference and, uh, that may ramp up or it might not. I'm not going to make any promises yeah. right now. We might try and beef up some pocket episodes as well. Yeah, like make the episodes a little bit more in-depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've acclimated you sheeple to the idea of less content. Yeah. And now <laughs> you're going to take your portions as they come to you. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, I really like this new clip podcast. Like, oh, when do they release? Well, they haven't in uh, in millennia. <laughs> But I'm so used to the slow release schedule that I feel like eventually they said next time they were going to be talking about Minecraft. And I'm waiting on that episode. It's 3,052, 1,000 years after the last release of the podcast. Episode 99. I mean, their Wikipedia page still says active. Uh, oh man, I want to create a no clip obsessed AI now so that I can make that truth a reality. I want to live on long after my organic death, <laughs> and only the no clip fan AI can make this possible. Yep, we'll get to work on that immediately. Yeah, because remember, I'm taking a break, so I can't really code AIs. So I gotta. <laughs> <laughs> You've got other, even more. You're taking a break to code an AI. <laughs> you cracked the code. Yeah. The ARG. So do you have any last words before we jump into 
your last episode until the next time that you record an episode <laughs> with us, which will probably still be in this, the year of our Lord, 2019. <laughs> okay. Got to think about that entire sentence to make sure I get all of the qualifiers out. <laughs> so I speak exactly to that circumstance. Uh, thank you, my fans and personal lovers who have taken the time to contact me individually over the years. <laughs> You have made my life meaningful, and this is exactly what I was searching for. I I really was skeptical when I started this podcast that I would have any fun with either of my friends who were desperately trying to hold on to me, despite my obvious overt pretenses that I didn't care about them and wanted them out of my life. But you, the listening audience, have filled that void in my heart instead. Through you, I have purpose once again. Thank you. Uh, I think here it's going to cut in some like badass like metal Castlevania music. <laughs> uh, oh, I have I have an announcement. Oh shit! We have another. We have an announcement in the announcement. Oh yes. my god! We have, we have some announcement <laughs> for the true fan. Uh, email me <laughs> the one. Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya quote I have managed to slip in unnoticed <laughs> into our full podcast history, and I will mail you chocolate. Okay. <laughs> That'll just melt in the mail. I will mail you beer. Unmel- that's there illegal. <laughs> <laughs> The chocolate I was going to mail was already illegal. Oh, it's illegal chocolate? Yes. Okay. It's chocolate that's been injected with beer. It's cho- it's chocolate <laughs> nine. It's my Unmeltable cheer. chocolate. Oh, ooh, there you go. <laughs> my uh, callback there. Uh, One, two, three, four. Time to cast Defrauding Girl Scouts in like 20 steps. Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherland. I'm JJR Timez. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Castlevania Symphony of the Night, a game that was released in 1997 and was developed and published by Konami. Uh, pause for booze. Oh, yeah. And we're back. Not booze. O-O-Z-E. Booze like B-O-O-S. Oh, oh, People booing okay. Konami. You I, can drink booze if you want. <laughs> <laughs> booze for booze. I'll wait for you to call it out again. It'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, booze for booze. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Symphony of the Night is the essentially the first uh, Metroidvania Castlevania game lending its half of its name to the genre that it kind of helped to define mm-hmm. uh, many, many years after it actually released. And, b- and because Konami kind of blows generally, a lot of people <laughs> have not really had the experience, ourselves included until recently, to have played through this seminal entry in an entire genre because their remakes changed the dialogue and made it worse, along with other very small other issues and things that scared me away from buying the actual physical version of the game which is like many physical versions of games far too expensive 
Yeah. But we, I have climbed that hill for you, <laughs> but mostly for me. I was actually totally unaware of that and just bought the PlayStation 4 version. Uh, I, too, was that all those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've given me such a gift uh-huh. because I uh, was prepared coming in here to relinquish my status as everyone's favorite member of the Noclip podcast <laughs> and instead become everyone's least favorite member of the Noclip podcast. But now I can blame all of this on the shoddy remake I played. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. So Pretty what? Sure it's just a remaster. So all of Whoa. the fans... <laughs> out there can know very specifically what elements of the Konami redesign that you took such issue with. Mm-hmm. Why don't you describe <laughs> the parts of Castlevania Symphony of the Night that were just so terrible for you, Chad? Yeah, so I think uh, it, it would be disingenuous of me to like just have a list of grievances here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say outright that I do want to say outright that I didn't like this game, but I don't want to say that it's because the game is bad. Okay. I think that history will back me up on this uh, in that I also think that Ori in the Blind Forest and Hollow Knight are good games that I do not like playing. Uh, Hollow Knight more so than the others. But I think traditionally speaking, I just dislike Metroidvanias at their core mm. and mostly like Metroid games. <laughs> I don't know what... I tried to enumerate the things that I like about Metroid that I don't like about other Metroidvanias, and I will try and address those organically as they come up, but I don't want to turn this into a podcast that's half about Metroid, even if the genre is half about Metroid. (laughs) Very understandable. Instead, let's turn this into an interrogation podcast where I turn my weird table lamp-like gaze onto Andy... (laughs) And see if instead Andy Kennick also has terrible takes that will be mutilated on the internet by hundreds of people. Uh, I ended up liking this game, uh, but it was really hard for me to get into. I thought there were a lot of like barriers to entry, and it was kind of like a rough, steep difficulty curve to start. But once I knocked down those walls, I definitely got into it. And we'll go more into detail, I'm sure, as we go along. A classic moderate Andy take. That's true. Mm-hmm. Understandable. I do want to address basically the first thing, uh, and th- this is kind of my least salient point of uh, like contention that I had with this game. Um, but I, this is the fourth Castlevania game that I've played. I've not finished any of the Castlevania games that I've started to play, um, but all of the games that I've played before, which were Castlevania, Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, that's the one I've played the least of, and Cas- Super Castlevania 4 were all the platformer entries in the genre. And uh, I love the whip. The whip is my favorite mechanic that Castlevania had as, like, a defining feature. And I understand that there's a lot of, like, baggage associated with the whip. (laughs) Uh, And, like, the Belmont clan and the vampire killers, like, the name of their whip. And Mm -hmm. it has all this, like, connotation. Uh, And it just makes me hate Alucard even more (laughs) for not having a whip, mostly. 
And I realize now that you can play as Richter by putting his name in, and it was clearly a mistake that I did not do that, but I had no way of knowing it when I started the game. That is true. That mm-hmm. is true. I just I was hoping to be this glorious little whip Santa. Right. <laughs> uh, but you have taken that pleasure from me as well. Yeah, no, that that uh, whip Christmas should have come about two weeks ago <laughs> so that I could have begun the game that way. What's the date? Like the 25th, 6th? What's the I date? It's the 25th. All right, Whipmas. Whipmas. Where whippets are done and whips are <laughs> <Okay>. used. <laughs> right. This is the most dangerous <laughs> holiday ever. Here's a weapon, and also here is concentrated nitrogen. Like, <laughs> go nuts. <laughs> it's in a stocking. Like, yeah. Also, very appropriate that it's August 25th. We're just four months in front of regular Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, true. To your point about the whip, uh, I also kind of feel its absence here. I haven't really played more than like five minutes of any other Castlevania game. But they give you a taste. Oh, yeah, at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. you play as Richter. But, yeah, the whip is super satisfying to use, and it's like uh, trying to imagine this game without like the axes in it. That's like yeah. another super satisfying Castlevania item to use. And I, you do feel its absence, but like I quickly got over that personally. Uh, imagine I am a sword boy usually. You are anyway. you're a total sword boy. I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, imagine if you will the level layout of a. Ca- Have you played uh, any no. of the platform? No, not one. N- nope. Okay, all right, gotcha. <laughs> in Castlevania and in other and in like its sequels, all the way up until this one uh, that I'm aware of have a very similar level design. Uh, Symphony of the Night is a departure, but not as much as you would think. The architecture of castles is something that Konami has stayed pretty true to, including things like stairs and sloped platforms that are like separated by a jump's distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a particularly whip-friendly... <laughs> kind of design and i feel like there are lots of situations where you'll be on like a staircase in this game and you either have to a use a sub weapon somewhere where you would never need to use a sub weapon if you had a cool whip uh (laughs) and you just generally have to be very close and very like on the same level with the people that you're fighting and i that is like the core combat system of castlevania that i enjoyed before playing this game Mm -hmm. is just been basically removed and replaced with one i don't like as much so it started off on the wrong foot understandable it it is weird that you can't attack like up diagonal because mm-hmm. you just use your sub weapon when you hit up square. Right. That bothered me. And there was like a chunk of time where I was using the clock yeah. sub weapon like exclusively. And <laughs> I and good. I would like want to like hit things above me and then I'd accidentally trigger it and it uses like 15 hearts. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> every time I did that. You started a sentence. Like oh, it's, a second it's, ago. it's left me so long ago. It's <laughs> You've been jilted by that sentence. Oh, I remember the sentence. It came back. Finally, we can be together, me and this sentence. Chad. Yeah, what's up? Did you try being wizard card instead? Okay, I did not I did not play really with spells, knowing that there was, like, 
a meter, like a mana meter that was separate from your health meter and also from your heart's meter, which is another thing. This is another thing I'll get into, but the number of different systems in this game is obtrusive and annoying. Mm -hmm. But no, I was not a wizard. Wizard card, 100% the way to go. (laughs) Speeding wizard card, maybe the thing I enjoyed most out of this entire game. Uh, I am, you know, approaching 30. I have played enough games where I am a 2D sprite on a 2D plane hitting someone with a melee weapon. Yeah. And, you know, it it was fine, especially given the time. The animation specifically uh, on your sprite, although it's a little bit over large in terms of screen real estate for what you get out of it, was very smooth and pretty and cool. Uh, But I have... You guys know me. I'm not a fighting game guy. I've never tried to do the fiddly inputs before. So this was my official game where I was like, yeah, fiddly inputs. I'm going (laughs) to master all of this. Um, And I was sad that I never found a wizard hat to, like, match the aesthetic. Because there there were so many ridiculous hats and Mm -hmm. accessories. And I was like, I'm going to become a wizard by the end of this game. That is the best part of the game, that there were (laughs) funny hats. Yes. That's really, that's like a, that's a key point for me mm-hmm. they need to be funny hats in all games mm-hmm. but do any of them actually show up on the sprite uh no, okay. no, no. your, your cape so. changes your yeah. weapon changes a bunch but uh because i i only found one actual hat the velvet hat every other like head equipment was like goggles or uh, yeah. a mask or glasses or something mm-hmm. it's all in so your I, mind's I was eye. just wondering if hats showed up no so yeah, that's that was my general take on this game, uh, is that I really enjoyed just forcing it, just taking what was clearly a not well thought out supplemental system mm-hmm. and just making it the complete core of my entire experience. I think I would have been more apt to do such things if uh, I had been more like aware of the stats as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like the, the fact something about the pause screen of this game just like induces like a mad rage in me (laughs) because it's so difficult to like get any information at a glance. You have to like fucking cross reference a table with like all these different, there's like a thousand words on the page. And I just like, I don't know. It's this is like a fire emblem thing Mm -hmm. where I looked at the stat screen and I was like, those numbers will go up. Eventually, and then I just ignored it forever and never looked yeah. really. Graphic designs come a long way. Yeah, yeah. in games, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah. come a long way. Save rooms, as a th- as a concept, are fine. Please don't put me back in the fucking main menu when I die. Like, why do we have to do that? Yeah, that was one of the like big discouraging things for me early on was dying and then getting booted to the main menu and having to manually load again it's such an interesting piece of our arcade legacy that like even that late like second big console generation since the death of the atari we still had games that were like ha, 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 you suck at this game <laughs> fuck you you suck <laughs> i do love the game over screen oh yeah for what it's, worth. it's really cool I, I i had a theory that the only reason they didn't take that feature out of the remaster is because that's in an iconic screen it's a good good screen like people would complain that it was gone <laughs> they took out and people did complain dracula's opening monologue from the remix yeah that is horseshit for what it's worth yeah like, the fact that that's gone that's like uh, 
so the Resident Evil remake, right? Yeah. Takes out a lot of the sort of like corny dialogue mm-hmm. and that is a problem, but the remake also like completely remapped the game. Like it, they made it a they updated all the textures, they got new dialogue, new voice actors, all this shit to make the game like they removed that hokey live action intro scene. Yeah. And it made sense because like it was Resident Evil redone. Like it was a complete remake of the game. This is just a port and the port should just have the original dialogue because it's like a meme. Like it's a whole, the like um, what is a man a miserable little pile of secrets is like that's like a thing. And the fact that they took that out in the remake was like, I was like heartbroken before the game even started. You do not take this game and attempt to make it serious. Yeah. You can put in a lot of effort to scrub out the like the comical, silly elements from Resident Evil and turn it into the scary thing that it wanted to be, mm-hmm. but you're not going to turn Dracula's name backwards into like a pretelling, <laughs> compelling protagonist. Like It won't happen, and it shows here, which is why I am a purist, and my disc shall be a treasured item <laughs> that I would keep yeah. for all time. I mean, there's no reason to not just, like, have that be an option in the menu and just be, like, the classic version, yeah. and here's the other version we made that we think's better. <laughs> you choose. Yeah. Well, we, we have I probably spent enough time already establishing uh, the shittiness of the port and shitting on the port <laughs> yeah. for its half-baked attempts to make it better. Yeah, but one thing that you said uh, was... One thing I was thinking about while playing this is this game, I think it's really emblematic or it sits in this really weird place in video game history where like I played it and I'm like, I can see the influence that other games took from this. But then at the same time, there's so many like old, tired, uh, like rough patches to it as well that came from the arcade era and the NES era and whatever. And it, it just like, it's weird how it just like, it sits there in between them. Like, I think this is one of the most emblematic games of its era. Absolutely. In that way. It is a weird, rusty inflection point. I feel like we actually touched on this, uh, not very Resident Evil twice in like, three minutes but in the Resident Evil 4 episode we talked about how it feels kind of like this point where a lot of things took influence from it but then a lot of the things that it was doing are still they were old they were old things and uh yeah Castlevania is the same way and I think that it's just transposed both of them feel of their time uh but they both felt appropriate groundbreaking even when they came out There is definitely a completely alternative trajectory to my life that this game reveals, where if my sister had purchased a SNES instead of an N64, I would have gotten this game, and then had, just by surprise, gotten a game that's like 65% as good as Hollow Knight 20 years ago, Uh, right? and I would... There'd be vampire shit all over me. I would own a cowl. <laughs> would come to school with like cheap plastic vampire fangs, and we wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> and I would have been like, you know, that freaky vampire kid. Yeah, fuck him. Correct. <laughs> yeah, this is in complete seriousness. I would. I, I'm convinced. If this had been my first game instead of Star Fox, I would have been completely obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. I would have played every Castlevania game that came out through the GBA and DS era. Uh, and I'm probably going to go back at least to a few of them at this point. I'll probably start with uh, Bloodstained instead. But, like, 
the, the, like it is now a firmly on my radar. Rust aside, right? I I've heard good things about the DS ones. Yep. I think same. I'm sure that any of them with whips would be more <laughs> up my alley. Uh, I think they all just have attractive anime men. I'm very sorry. I don't think they have whips. I think they're all they just vampire whip? teens. Did they, like, remove whips from Castlevania? Hashtag bring back whips. <laughs> that is weird if they don't have whips. Yeah, if I think about Castlevania, literally the first thing I think about <laughs> is a whip. Like, that's just the image in my mind is a whip. Uh, it just seems wrong. Alas. I don't know. Alas. Uh, okay. Let's dig. Let's dig. Uh, what do we want to dig into? What you, you seemed like you were picking up a shuffle there. That's true. The thing I was going to dig into was more about the actual Metroidvania elements of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like sort of the natural way to follow up uh, talking about the fact that this game was groundbreaking because Metroidvanias didn't really... I mean, obviously the genre wasn't even named until like less than 10 years ago, probably. Um, oh, that's not... 15? something like that maybe in that regardless yeah it's it's become more popular recently uh and so you see the influence now but there was kind of this still felt like super metroid when it came out like Mm -hmm. and that was its like closest brethren um and i think that it actually does do the metroidvania parts of the game pretty well uh while i don't like metroidvania elements that much uh the parts that it, it does use, like the your backtracking and your inventory, uh, I like that it takes uh, Super Metroid's like ability to turn abilities on and off. Um, I just think that's good. I think that's something that needs to be implemented more often. Uh, and uh, the map design is actually the whole like inverted castle part is also dope as hell. Yes, like that's all just great. That's that's good shit. I think probably the biggest difference between a standard Metroidvania design, this is more presentation, I guess, than design, is how little the game attempts to draw attention to, in some cases, extremely important, like, progression gating items. Like, in Symphony of the Night, it's way more on you as the player to understand the items in your possession and use them when they need to be used. There isn't, like, a Nintendo-style, like, da-na-na-na, that, like, makes it glaringly obvious that this ice arrow is the thing you're going to be using forever. But, like, I when I figured out that the spike-breaking armor, like, literally just broke spikes in the world, like, that changed <laughs> my entire perspective on the kind of things I was doing. I just started switching out different items in my inventory just to test, because, like, when I read ice resistance, I just assumed that it meant less damage. But after the spike break armor, like, maybe it means that I can swim in these waterfalls, right? Like, who knows? The, the game ended up feeling like it had a lot more possibility space than it had by not drawing attention to the tools in your possession. It, it, it made it feel weirdly more experimental because there was less of a guiding hand there. And I did appreciate that, even in retrospect. Yeah, the spike breaker armor is a good example because that's the one upgrade if you want to call it that feels similar to metroid Mm. in my opinion where it's like just an upgrade that lets you bypass an obstacle in the world whereas the other upgrades feel a little bit more unique and different than metroids like their magic spells or you know like just like an item you buy from the librarian or you know like it that's 
you, you even get it at like the end of a tunnel where it could be resting on a Chozo statue. You know, right. like it just it 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 felt different than a lot of the other upgrades, which made it harder to connect the dots. And there's only one spot with spikes. Yeah. So you had to like remember that place was there. It's not like designed in these bespoke chunks like we'd be used to from a Zelda game or a Metroid game. There aren't zones that are like designed around the wolf ability or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They just kind of gave you tools and threw it at the wall. Is that used for anything? What like the I? Wolf? The I wolf. never used it. The wolf is generally bad, but okay. uh, it. <laughs> Other than like the the few opportunities where you can use it to jump over gaps before you get the bat or get underneath things before you get the bat or the mist or anything else, mm-hmm. uh, it's just for running across areas. Especially after you get the last wolf upgrade, you can you get like a power run with it eventually, uh-huh. and you can just steamroll through people. So it's a good way to get to, through other zones pe- fast in like big hallways. Okay, it doesn't like stop you even if you deal damage to a thing and it doesn't kill it. That's just one utility, and it's very niche, so it's extremely rare, rare to use. Yeah. Mist, mist form, I think, also kind of falls into... Because it has its other uses as well. Yeah. But, like, it's pretty clear when there's just, like, I can't do this without that. Uh, also, there's, like, literally a double jump in the game. Mm-hmm. And double jump kind of falls under the category of, like, this is just sort of a baseline. You can now do more things, or go more places, ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do agree otherwise. Like, the, the armor's a big thing. The fact that, like, spells are a totally different system than what you're used to using is something that, like, uh, it makes it less intuitive to think that maybe they'll be used for... I don't want to call it like puzzle solving, like progression, mm-hmm. overworld progression, that kind of a thing. It's, I think it's a good observation. Mm-hmm. The the thing that I that I want to branch off of here, and I know that is going to be met with mostly groans, uh-huh. is uh, that you get that upgrade at the end of a long hallway, like it could be sitting on a Chozo statue. Uh-huh. Uh, Metroid games, since their inception in the 80s, uh, use like long and tall rooms pretty frequently Mm -hmm. as uh just like i don't know they serve a couple of purposes like using hallways using vertical rooms in order to have multiple branching like horizontal passageways off of them Mm -hmm. is something really useful in this type of design when they give you a map and they want the map to line up properly and be like a physical space. And I think that Castlevania also does this well. However, I think Castlevania does the long hallways thing one too often and too badly, because I feel like you end up in these hallways that take like, that are absolute gauntlets either of tons of enemies or lots of very boring things to do. (laughs) Um, Andy previously off cast called out a hallway that contains those like scorpion women plant monsters. Oh, with uh, with like the lower torso that's like a plant beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The in that it's like an early game hallway, and as one that he thought was pretty good, I think that yeah. creature design is good. Yeah, it was because it was the first one that I came across. So, and it was like the challenge hit me just right to right. where it was like stressful to get through, but I made it and I was like, yes. <laughs> and that used to be just what Castlevania was, right? That those specific kind of bespoke challenge rooms in a sequence like that. Well, Castlevania, uh, the Castlevania game that I played the most of, which is super Castlevania four, uh, has like levels. Like it's like a very standard platformer. Um, and the geometry was not nearly as like expansive, mm-hmm. uh, 
which this game is forced into because of the way that it it, it wants to be an overworld with places to explore and go. Um, but I don't know. I don't think that there was never there weren't as many or any, if I'm remembering correctly, like big vertical climbs or really long horizontal hallways. That just wasn't a thing in, in those games. Yeah, and I think that they really just wanted it to be like a gauntlet, uh, as you said earlier. Like, it worked out this way a lot for me in the early game, where like getting it really felt like getting in between save rooms was like playing a level, mm-hmm. which isn't the way Metroidvanias always feel, but they do sometimes. Um, and I felt like yeah, like in the early part of the game, those kind of landed a little bit better. But once you, like, open things up and are going back and forth, like, you had to go back and forth through that hallway you brought up, like, many times throughout the game. (laughs) And it just gets so tiresome, especially because it's got those other plant monsters that spit the skulls that turn you into stone. And, like, the ceiling's kind of low, so it can be awkward to jump over them sometimes. That's annoying. And it gets more so as it goes along. Um, But to relate this back to the previous conversation... um, I think that one big difference in, like, game feel between this and Metroid is in Metroid, you get your power-ups, and you're kind of expected to, like, actively use them right? as you continue through the game, where in this, you get them, and you mostly just keep playing it like uh, a melee-focused, like go from point up. A, yeah, beat-em-up, kind of. Uh, and then you use your special abilities sometimes whenever you f- find a place where they are usable. And it happens like way less frequently. It's, I think part of that is how much the game attempts to be more open. Uh, I, I think even by Metroidvania standards, Symphony of the Night has a lot of like sequence breaking stuff that people like us, and especially given our format, would like never learn or know about. So uh, it falls into a, a, you know, it was the first one, so of course it's going to fall into this trap where a lot of the normal content that you get to is designed to be more accessible through a lot of different ability combinations, so it ends up getting boring. Uh, the reverse castle fixes that mostly. Uh, not all the, the abilities are far from evenly useful, but, like, I never used the mist at all until I hit the reverse castle when I used the mist constantly like it did a good job shifting pressures enough once the game allowed itself to hit a point where it's like all right we now know every feature that this character has access to again in an expanded base and we're going to test all of those skills simultaneously and not just the skills that you start the game with which is standard castlevania 2d brawling yeah but the I don't know. The thing that kills me about it is that I think that sub weapons add so much variety to the combat just from like a, a baseline melee standpoint mm-hmm. that I, I don't know. It's just like the amount of abilities, it, it it's overwhelming it, to some extent uh, to try and use regular abilities in just like your day to day combat because it's, there's already a bunch of stuff that you can do. So trying to be like, well, maybe it'd be better in this scenario to use this spell or, like, turn into a wolf. And obviously it's never really a good idea to turn into a wolf, mm-hmm. but it is an option. Uh, and thinking about it in that way just, like, 
it, it just won't occur to you most of the time. I think there's just so many things going on that it makes it a lot harder to want to. That's yeah. where Metroid gets away with being able to just do like missiles, super missiles, ice missiles, because you're going to be using those missiles to fight. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a thing. Yeah. That's a good point. Like you're given so many just combat options that you kind of separate them in your mind from the other things you can do. Mm-hmm. And you don't think to like cross the streams. Can we take a moment to point out how retrospectively bizarre it is to play to play a game where like mechanically significantly different sub weapons are found in the world consistently in specific respawning locations and you can only carry one like in any <laughs> game five years after this was made and by occasionally pretty much every game I have personally played mm-hmm. like these items would be metroidvania style unlockables themselves or like an inventory of things that you switch between and even if you couldn't carry them all they would not be distributed as like in the same place where you drop money like they wouldn't be like in breakable boxes that <laughs> yeah, always come back i kind of really liked it though why like, i also like it for what it's worth yeah it's hard to, like i think maybe you should be able to carry two and swap between them uh or there should maybe be like a little bit a few more warp points so mm-hmm. it's easier to go back and grab the one you want but like it's cool it's just another thing to think about i think it fits really well in a metroidvania style game where you're already going back and forth across the game world you're like oh okay i'm going here so i'll stop off at this place to save in between in case i die and then i can stop off here and i can pick up the clock sub weapon and you know you kind of it gives you more things to kind of like map out and do as you go from place to place and and take a break from just hitting dudes with a sword. It also gives you (laughs) more things to remember. Yeah. That kind of makes the game feel a bit more expansive. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff though. So I guess that's probably why it feels good to me. Yeah. My one main issue with it was just the fact that they, because they do fall out of the same shit that everything else does. And you don't, I mean, as far as I got into the game, I never really got to a point where I just, like, memorized where everything was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something that I would do if I played this game for 60 hours. I would not memorize where all of the sub-items are. Everything is impossible, but, like, important things yeah. or triggered mm-hmm. memories, sure. Um, <laughs> but, like, my issue is because of that uh, and the fact that I already have a difficult time, as has been discussed on this podcast a million times before, differentiating between sprites like for some reason that's just like not how my brain is wired Mm -hmm. uh i would like walk over items get them and just not realize it and be like uh okay so the bible i guess is like my favorite sub weapon in symphony of the night oh yeah bible is dope it's super good and one because it made the game it made me have to care less about walking into shit uh and taking a bunch of knockback which is also garbage, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, And it deals damage and it can kill things that are like irritating. And I would have it a lot of the time. And then I would walk into a room, see a thing I want to use the, uh, the Bible on. It's a weird thing to say. Uh, And then just throw an ax and be like, Oh fuck. Like when did that happen? Like hours ago? I don't remember. Uh, And I don't know that. I feel like if there was a button prompt to pick it up, that would probably make it a little bit easier. Right now it feels like ghouls and ghosts and this game does not is not set up to play like ghouls and ghosts. I did waste a lot of time not picking up items in this game. It's like jumping yeah. over shit. Yeah. yeah, it's I don't know, it gets kind of tedious. Yeah. 
game has a lot of tedious elements. We've already touched on a few of them. Uh, the way in which challenges repeat themselves in rooms. There isn't, like, a gradient of challenge normally. Everything's, like, you'll just do the same thing multiple times. There's rarely escalation until you actually hit boss rooms, or unless you manage to find a zone a little bit earlier than you ever were supposed to intended to. The, the difficulty curve is, like, weird and hard to predict for that reason, but this was, like one of society's first attempts to make a difficulty curve with this kind of more open structure. So, you know, no fault intended to the creators here. But, yeah, it, it just... This game is is just very crunchy. It's just it got a <laughs> lot of... It's got a lot of hard bits that mm -hmm. you surprise yourself on with your teeth. Yeah. I, um... It took me a while... <laughs> just let, give that one a moment. Uh, we were, I, as this is his last episode for a little bit. We're this is like pure unfiltered shit. Yeah, is what we're getting. But uh, it took me a little while to realize that I needed to get the opening jewel or whatever it was called from the librarian mm -hmm. to to open the magic doors. So I I went into like a couple of different areas that were like I'm pretty sure were intended for a little bit later in the game, and it was a little bit rough starting out but they were manageable and then like i kind of got me like over leveled and like going back through the rest of the game it was like a pretty flat difficulty mm -hmm. for me and uh which just speaks to what you were just saying like it's it's a little yeah it's not entirely graceful in its design but as you said it's like a first kind of attempt why is so, this game an rpg at all yeah it has the second best implementation of RPG elements, uh, of doing, like, equipment matters a lot more, but the RPG elements are still there. The best implementation, not having any RPG elements <laughs> in your game. Any it, game. It, it, does, it does kind of feel similar to Bloodborne, where you're, you're kind of... Ugh. I said that kind of with, like, a Cockney accent. <laughs> You're kind of... <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> Get back in but there. You, <laughs> Bury the Cockney. Yeah. You're engaging with the RPG elements enough that you kind of don't think about it as you play. Mm -hmm. But then you, you step back from it, and you're like, I can't... This almost feels like it would be better if this was just, like, a standard action game. And, yeah, and, like, the equipments were upgrades or, like, you're just your own skill improves and then, you know, with the difficulty curve. It, it just, it does feel unnecessary. Well, I disagree with the comparison with Bloodborne. My reasons for it are so different than the reasons you're giving. Yeah. Like, the reason that I think that you're right about that is, like, all of your reasoning is spot on. I think that you improving and you getting better, cooler stuff is what should drive your progression in both of these games. Mm -hmm. I just think that, like, Bloodborne uh, forces you to specialize with your stats. Yeah. And I think that that is a cool, unique, well, not necessarily unique, considering <laughs> the whole thing uh, <laughs> with that game that we don't talk about. Uh that's unique to that style of game, whereas in Castlevania it does very little uh, to mm -hmm. to like make a yeah, I mean, difference in playthroughs. Yeah, it's definitely better implemented in Bloodborne. Yeah, this is like an old style RPG mechanic implementation where the stats aren't used 
to differentiate characters with choice. Like, there are just best versions of the weapons. Like, you have a certain amount of, like, personal preference. Like, I know I use the Holy Rod way later than I probably should have, just because I liked the way that its animation and attack speed worked and, like, where mm. it, where its damage was relative to the model. But for the most part, like, this is the kind of game that, in the style of old, old, old games, just has the best shield and the best sword and all of that sort of stuff. And in its defense, uh, and I mean, this is a couple of years separated, but, like, old games where they did that tended to put those things in places that were tedious as fuck whereas in this game they're i feel like the reward mechanism of finding new things works a little bit better i feel like i more frequently than not found shit i didn't want or need but that's kind of universal to to this type of uh gear system Mm -hmm. uh but like i'm imagining like an earthbound grinding for like Pooh's last weapon where it's like I could have saved a lot of time if this didn't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it made me resent it whereas like I don't know, I don't I don't have as much of an issue in Castlevania cuz they kind of it it's easier I guess to find and it feels more like a reward. It is yeah. easier compared to those old games but like I the weapons though differentiated aren't differentiated enough. Like I bet if we looked at all of our Alucards, they would be roughly like I could not I could pick up Andy's character and play it effectively. Oh yeah. That is what I mean. They don't have like that much differentiation. And if you don't have that much differentiation, I don't get the point of RPG mechanics. Like that's what those mechanics were designed in the way, way back to do in the first place. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Maybe they just thought it was an easier way to like make a difficulty curve where if they're like leveling you up as you go along then they, you know, like, they have, like, a uh, something to base, like, the power of the enemies against. Oh, so, like, the idea would be, no matter where you go in the world, you'll get stronger when, you'll be yeah. stronger when you go back there? Yeah. Okay, that's an idea. This is also kind of the same conclusion we came to on God of War, where we were like, well, you do have that moment where you go back to an earlier and it's easier. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a way of, it's a different way of gating. You know, it's like yeah. you have the higher level enemies and you need to level up to go there. Yeah. You know, it's just a, a different way of handling it. And in this game, it gets so easy because of the way this tap progression works that it just, it doesn't make you feel empowered. It makes you feel empowered like once and then it makes you feel like you're wasting your time like eight times. Yeah. Yeah. That almost kind of feels <laughs> like it fits the character though. Like, when Alucard shows up, he seems like he's, like, way too badass and could just storm Dracula's keep immediately and kill him. Mm-hmm. And then they depower you, and you have to, you know, build yourself back up. So it almost kind of fits thematically that you get back to the point where, like, this is all beneath you. You literally refined the equipment. Like, that best shield that I was talking yeah, about yeah. is the shield you start the game with. Yeah, I, I did find that Alucard shield. yeah. The the thing that I have an issue with with this is the with, with that like empowered scene like where you the first scene when you come in mm-hmm. is that I feel like there's something so video gamey about this game uh, mostly the fact that it's a video game I guess <laughs> uh, but also like the sound design is really like 
it sounds like the like listening to this game and not seeing it sounds like when you're watching a movie and they're implying that somebody is playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> so they just put like kind of chinging sounds mm-hmm. and lots of like explosions and stuff happening. And that was just like because you walk in in the first sequence, which I played twice because I missed the first save point, didn't know there was a thing, uh, and so that sucked. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, you like walk in and you go up to the like seven foot tall enormous dog and you're just like (laughs) and hit it one time and then it explodes and like fire is shooting out of it and I'm just like what is the point of any of this like you hit it one time you press one button and it like triggers this whole like scene where it howls and there's all these like sound effects and I'm like please just like just calm down. <laughs> Die faster and get out of my way. This game's death animations just in general are just way too... They're over the top. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, even up to the point where I stopped playing, like, I'd often kill an enemy and then, like, instinctively, like, run away from it because I thought it would, like, do damage to me. Because, like, all of their animations are, like, them falling apart and then all the different pieces combusting. <laughs> and, like, it, it looks like it would do damage to you, but it never does. Like, one, my favorite one is it's, like, in a unique enemy in, like, a hallway area. There's, like, a hammer guy and, like, a knives guy. Mm-hmm. And the knife guy, when you kill him, like, falls. He throws one of his daggers down, then he falls to his knees, and he throws the other one. And if you're in the path of it, it just doesn't hurt you. Wait, but what? It, it, looks, it <laughs> looks like it should. It's just a fancy death animation. Yeah. Like, I jumped over it the first time, but then I didn't the second time, and it just didn't hit me. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's a disaster that that does not hurt you. Yeah. Like, why even Cause, put it yeah, in? It looks so telegraphed, like it's supposed to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It's yeah. like the death animations are normally flashier than the animations of the live enemies. Oh, like they yeah. draw you more of your attention. Mm-hmm. By re- by the time you hit the reverse castle, like the demons that you're killing are literally like like r- leaning backwards and then freezing in the air and the little particle effects begin appearing around them and like a bean from heaven comes down <laughs> and like smites them as their whole body turns to ash and then the beam slowly like reduces down to a single point and their corpse is like standing there <laughs> aflame. It's like a six minute process. It lasts longer than this explanation <laughs> but it still happens. Well, because uh, the one that I watched you fight and I also thought would definitely hurt when it died oh there's, there's like fire monks. yeah those weird like hag <laughs> yeah fire dancer guys who like collapse into a pool of lava they literally just explode yeah and then their <laughs> head pops off and like a geyser comes out of it yeah i'm like this has to like this has to hurt you nope doesn't hurt you just walk right through it like it's so weird like i get that they want to do the cool death animations mm-hmm. and i'm a-okay with that. One of the things that drew me into um, that uh, Blasphemous oh, game Blasphemous. that I'm looking forward to is, like, the really intricate animations that all the enemies have. Oh, that's coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. So September 10th. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's like two weeks. Uh, pocket? Catch us on Pocket. Hell yeah. Or if it's long, I'm, I would do a full episode on it. What, catch us? Catch it. ESPN. <laughs> catch it. <laughs> 
<laughs> wait, wait. Is that is that ESPN's real tagline, or is that one that you're making it, up for ESPN because there are so many games in which people catch balls? It, it was like 20 years ago. Okay, <laughs> it's like a really old ESPN tagline. I see. All right. Uh, all none of that <laughs> is relevant. But yeah, like the intricate death animation is very cool. They just needed to do something to make them not seem threatening. <laughs> Is there even one that is threatening? Because if there is, immediately we have a problem. No, like, I this don't... is an idiosyncrasy that could become bad. I never encountered one that I can remember. I didn't either. It's, it's not that even that messaging inconsistency that's the thing I find weird about it. It's the relative priority, like, the, the, the sequence of priorities that those animations express. Mm -hmm. Where, like, I can get, like, yeah, it'd be cool if our game had sweet death animations. Why did you spend more time on that than, like, all of these other things in well, the video game? I, I actually think that... Well, they would take more time to, like, conceptualize and design. But, like, in implementation, they don't need to move, which makes them... Like, it's just an animation that you play right. in the game, which makes it simpler to implement once True. it's already made. So, I don't know, but the flashiness, maybe that was a high priority they wrote on the whiteboard, and they were just like, make those flashy death animations. I don't care if you have to work overtime. <laughs> that is kind of like a staple of the series also. Like, for, like, me, like, generally speaking, Castlevania games, that's just like a thing. Like, death animations are really intense. Uh, and everybody praises the character design, which we'll do probably in the second half we talk about aesthetics because it is it's fucking good like every all the enemies look real good mm -hmm. uh and so like i kind of like that but yeah the problem is that they then when they're not dead shuffle around in like two frame walking animations where they just kind of like take a step back take a step mm -hmm. forward throw a boomerang whatever <laughs> like that's and it's yeah. like uh, some of the early enemies are like comically like stiff and limited like the basic the skeletons. skeletons is kind of like like crab shuffle around <laughs> and then throw a bone at you like uh christ were any uh, of the animations for the enemies reused from old Castlevania games? Do either of you guys know? Because obviously the character, the human character models are from old games. You can just see it in the sprites. Yeah, but I am not a hundred percent. Yeah, the skeletons, like skeletons, have been done a million times. That skeleton was probably like public domain. <laughs> was was your question? Have the, were the designs reused? Yeah, were the actual sprites reused from oh, old Castlevania? Games? I have no clue. Okay. Some of them feel like they could have been, like, slightly altered Super Nintendo sprites, yeah. but... A lot of them are too pretty to be, like, NES yeah, sprites. They might have been... Yeah, because there's Super Castlevania on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. So, and I that feel was like... four. I don't know... So, the thing that you play out at the beginning of the game, mm -hmm. what is that... What is that? See, I assumed it was the end of Super Castlevania Four. Which seems like it would make sense, right? but I don't know. Yeah, like I'm not a hundred percent positive. Like Rondo of Blood, like what was that, and when did it come? Oh out? yeah, that's, I don't even know what Rondo is. That's, I don't, yeah, which we've had this conversation. Yeah, that's I have no idea. bundled with the mm -hmm. PS4 version, mm -hmm. and I I don't think that it has anything to do with Richter. Like, no, I think Richter is the main character in in Rondo. Oh. Maybe Unless I'm, I'm maybe I'm totally. We were devolving into speculation. We are, yeah. bad casting, <laughs> okay. but I don't. I thought they were unrelated. Mm. But I was gonna say the because they reused the the whole Dracula fight, and obviously they've remade the Dracula thing for PS1 graphics. It looks good. Yeah. But 
they they they're pulling directly from something else, so they probably grabbed some kind of influence. But yeah. I won't swear to. They any probably of it. like reused animations, like used like older stuff for reference. This game also part of a storied and now lost lineage uh, of game subtitles that have absolutely no bearing whatsoever to the <laughs> actual game that they are the subtitle of. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of thing I kind of love, though. Why? Like, I feel like when done right, and I think this is an instance of it being done right, that's such an evocative, cool name. Like, that, that it jumps out at you. It does. Like, it was something, I'd never played this game, but, like, I remember knowing people that did and them talking about it. It's a name that sticks in your head. Mm-hmm. And I'd compare it, this isn't a subtitle, it's just the name of the game, but to, like, Hyperlight Drifter. It kind of describes like the mood or the aesthetic of the game. It's it's kind of like naming an album or something, but gotcha. as applied to a whole game. Yeah, what's funny is what I was going to mention about it was that Symphony of the Night in relation to this game's aesthetic is both the subtitle of this game and also the name of a alternate universe Iron Maiden album. Mm-hmm. Because it's not... There's nothing elegant about Symphony of the Night. I wanted to put a qualifier on that, but I'm pretty sure there's just nothing yeah, elegant yeah, about no. Symphony of the Night. There's no like musical theming or anything. But the musical theming that is in the game is totally in the style of a hypothetical Iron Maiden album, more so than it is like the organs and stuff is like is sonically different, but they right. all have that like a very speed metal aesthetic where yeah. it's, it's yeah, just I, like hyper yeah. melody. I meant focused. like music theming, like Zelda games, like Ocarina of time being themed around the Ocarina. Right. Okay. That sort of thing. You're correct. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that is what symphony of the night evokes as opposed to the literal interpretation of it where I don't know, you would play like a, an aristocrat in a suit who goes to a symphony in the evening. <laughs> I think it'd been a bunch of skeletons doing some music. Skeletons do sillier things in this game. So skeletons do, skeletons do a lot of work in this game. All things considered. Speaking of things, skeletons fucking don't do in this game. Uh, like area two, in Symphony of the Night, okay. before the very first boss, after you've lost your powers, you're climbing up through the alchemy labs, and there's that button. And when the skeleton walks over the button, it moves the elevator up a <laughs> tiny, teeny bit. How do you... Is that button just there just to make me fucking mad? Why is you, that button there? You kill the skeleton when it's standing on the button. Doesn't do it. it crumples. Doesn't do it. It doesn't tr- work? does not work. I tried to do that so many times. It uh. only works when it's standing, when the sprite is alive, when it comes back to mm. life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does not give you enough time to jump up from there. Interesting. Uh, yes. I think. Because I know in you the can... same room, or potentially one room prior, I don't remember, there's a part where you can push boxes mm. over top of buttons, mm-hmm. and there's no there are no other puzzles in the whole game, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. But you do push a box at one point, and it seems rational that you would push a box onto that button to raise the elevator. Yeah. There's no fucking box, though. No, nope, <laughs> not a box. I, it You can come at that... Uh, from the other direction mm-hmm. later, because it's a Metroidvania game, mm-hmm. and my, the only thing I can come up with is that it draws your attention to it to like kind of make you think about the the interconnected world design. 
I solved the puzzle. <laughs> you come back with the stopwatch. And you stop the skeleton when he's on the button, and then it'll work. Uh, there he is. So there. much elegant genius in I, Symphony of the it's Night. Night. Elegant game. Elegant solutions <laughs> to inelegant problems. But <laughs> relating back to what we were talking about earlier that's not at all used for progression it's just like a random little secret thing in one tiny little spot and moment yep that you're probably never gonna think to do because the game does not encourage you to experiment in that way so weird yeah that's pretty weird um i need air conditioning yeah let's i was i was like (laughs) how do i segue into a break here's how we do it i need air conditioning now (laughs) yeah we're gonna take a break Wah, wah. Yep. I'm an AC baby. <laughs> Symphony of the Night is the awkward teenage years of video games. I didn't realize until during the break. I'm shocked I didn't make this comparison before. It is This game is mechanically, aesthetically, tonally, like in all ways, it is it is video games being where it was when video games was like 14 to 15. While I agree that Alucard seems like the kind of kid who's going through a phase, <laughs> I actually want to defend Symphony of the Night here a little bit. On which axis of the many? Specifically, I think that visually, Symphony of the Night was a game that knew exactly what it wanted to be Mm -hmm. and just fucking nails it. Like, I think that the game looks incredible in an era where where we had, like, blocky, like, bad animation and attempted 3d models which were groundbreaking technologically at the time but now feel like garbage (laughs) like they look so bad in comparison uh and i think that same thing tonight by being sprite based by being 2d and by following their like tried and true formula of like the universal monsters but in like a grim dark like take on them but then put into the Castlevania world, which is inherently kind of silly, even though it doesn't outwardly say that it is. I think this game like has an aesthetic all its own, and one that is tremendous and executed really well. All things that 15-year-olds like are not bad. <laughs> I bet my my uh, The way that I was taking the metaphor was that Castlevania was trying to do something edgy with its visuals, but I think that it, that it was it reflected its true colors. Mm-hmm. That's what that's where I think it is unlike a teen. Okay. <laughs> uh, to to slingshot off of what you were saying, uh, I specifically want to call out like Alucard's animations and his like aesthetic design because mm-hmm. I think they're like incredible. I love the the weird multicolor like trailing effects you get off of his movements mm-hmm. and, and like, backdraft like yeah and like the double jump where like the wings from like when he's a bat they like kind of fade in like for one or like a couple of frames like they're like like coming in from like another plane of existence <laughs> for a second it's like and they fade in and out and it's 
the one thing about his animations I don't like is his run cycle because he moves his arms like this, <laughs> uh, like which, a train. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say Andy is moving his arms like a locomotive. Yes, and it it's the one thing about his animations that aren't like great in my opinion. That's definitely a part of it that looked good when they made them and mm-hmm. just didn't port well to the scenery or the actual speed they wanted the model to move at. But yeah, it is very pretty. So much more pretty than all of the like white shirtless men mm-hmm. that had come before. Which also I have to say probably uh, plays into why, as you mentioned on the first half, there's so much screen real estate taken up by the character models. is because they're nice character models they don't want to like put them way back in the distance and make you not be able to tell all the fucking detail they put into it mm-hmm. like even like there's detailing on Alucard's cape and shit and like that's not that wasn't necessary I'm glad mm-hmm. they did it looks really good mm-hmm. they didn't have to nope yeah. uh, and I even think like just his character design in general is such a great translation of like what a vampire looks like, but actually made like into a cool video game character. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to describe, but I think they just nailed the look. Castlevania has this like habit of doing that with uh with its character designs. Like look at in this game, we'll just kind of limit it to here. Uh, but like look at the the creature and like their interpretation of what Frankenstein's monster is, mm-hmm. uh, as well as like Dracula himself are all sort of, like, their takes on the aesthetic principles that make up those characters. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Alucard being an original design, but one that, like, harkens back to, uh, like, vampires aesthetically through the ages. Like, he does... They do a really good job of bringing that up, whereas, like, Simon Belmont is Conan the Barbarian, (laughs) one for one. (laughs) Like, there's just nothing there. (laughs) They do... Again... I was kind of sad when I beat the game, uh, because that I, you hadn't used a whip the whole time. That too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I was out of whippets. There were no whips around. <laughs> it was I was sober and sad. Uh, I was looking forward to a Dracula fight, and I got a fight against like I skipped the first part, which is the part that I wanted with like a man with a cape doing magic (laughs) and just skipped all the way ahead to like a monster chair being, which is already a weird take on Dracula in the first place. Do you know, do you even know what I'm talking about? Andy? So I know you didn't get to reverse castle. I didn't beat the game, but the, the final boss, there's no, but I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That just feels like such a natural phrase. (laughs) No, what the final boss does have is a, but, in a chair. <laughs> it's like very chair based. Dracula spent so much time sitting in his chair that he fused with it. Literally. I think you, maybe literally. No joke, you're describing actually the first act of the new Invader Zim movie. Really? <laughs> that happens. Oh, the Zim has just been sitting in a chair. For it's the not past... Zim, it's Div. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Pop, this has been Pop Culture Minute with uh, Andy and Shed. So uh, this game has two final bosses. One Naturally. Is an easy, one is an easy... No, I'm not too like, like a, this is my true form final boss. Like mm. one ten hours before the other. Okay. If, if, but you don't do the reverse castle sequences, which essentially requires you to complete the entire map and find pretty much everything. Then so you, it's like an ending and a secret ending? Yes. Okay. Then you fight Richter and kill him before you realize he's possessed. But if you do reverse castle cool stuff, you feel like he's possessed and you 
go through the whole game with the castle upside down. And the final boss of the true secret ending uh, is a weird Dracula chair monster <laughs> in which you see Dracula sort of just focus your eyes real deep into the center there. And you'll see Dracula okay, far I back of frame. But apparently, like, and he calls it his true form, which implies that, like, the real him is the chair. <laughs> like, the true form is all all the heads that are coming off of the chair. I mean, this really doesn't look like a chair to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the chair. Okay, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah, you gotta look real deep there, because he is sitting. Like, he's right there. Look. Oh, yeah, no, he's totally there, yeah. Yeah, and he's Dracula like, oh, <laughs> I'm totally fine. Yeah, there is no glass. danger. <laughs> Uh, while his chair and cape mechanism does all the work. Well, I mean, that's kind of... Because this is... the fi- While the final boss of this game is sort of Dracula, the main antagonist of this game is kind of a castle. Like, it's not... It's the architecture itself. Yeah. Like, that's what you go in to do, is destroy the castle. Uh, so it kind of it fits that you would you would fight furniture as the boss. <laughs> <laughs> True. And I'm glad you brought this up. That is something I actually really like about this game, how much it feels like you are fighting the castle than mm-hmm. anyone else. Like, the Dark Wizard Shaft could go suck his name's okay. sake. Like, I don't care <laughs> about the Dark Wizard Shaft. Uh, but I, but this castle almost feels like a character when you're going through it. It's so gothic, so strong, and you become so like intimately familiar with it as you move around its little spaces. Yeah, yeah. It, I feel like it's exactly the right scale. Agreed. Yeah, like it, and it's it's got like a nice kind of like circular design almost, like kind of the way you make your your way around it. Like I, I think they they got that just right. Uh, for a game where the antagonist is kind of a building, I am really glad that they did it in this way, I guess, where everything that you do is through the context of where you are in the castle. Uh, and even though I might take some, you know, level design relevant gripes with it as far as like your combat sub weapon finding and like all of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I think that they do give the the castle itself a personality because I feel like if if they went in with this as their intended goal which I almost kind of don't think they did I feel like you would end up with something that's more akin to Sen's Fortress where it's like oh the castle's an antagonist because it's trying to kill you (laughs) but like it really squarely puts the focus on the combat with the inhabitants of the castle as you make your way towards like your eventual final goal in mm-hmm. like the the master's chambers or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. yeah it it's not like filled with traps mm-hmm. it's not like literally the castle's out to get you yeah no. <laughs> like they it's i think a lot of the personality comes from the variety that they managed to squeeze out of a like a mystical castle yeah (laughs) like the the change of scenery is actually like pretty impressive i feel like it would be really hard if someone sat you down and was like design a metroidvania like big interconnected map that's all set within one castle (laughs) like that would i feel like that'd be so hard to do yeah, and, and I think they do a really good job with it. And the other Castlevania games typically do like the old NES SNES thing where it's like 
like they were just shy of being like this is the robot level this is the dinosaur <laughs> level but like you go to a bog and you go to like a you're in the actual castle proper and there's probably like an ice world in one of them i don't know yeah man fuck bogs yeah it's fuck bogs mm-hmm. uh <laughs> but like the, the like this is is all grounded and feels aesthetically complete Mm-hmm. and is all set in one location. Yeah. Like, it's just really good. The it's ground well is grounded. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> else is grounded. <laughs> yes. the, the literal ground is very grounded. It's, right. it's really cool when you make it to, like, the outer wall and you go all the way to the bottom and it's got that little room, I don't remember what it is, like an observatory or something. Yeah. Oh, and the other top left corner where you make it up to, like, the spires and you can see, like, the rafters, like, it's the top of the castle. And there's like, sometimes a rat there. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really cool. It Like, it, it adds a lot. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Yes. I'm not going to ask it yet. I will, however, <laughs> ask. Please remember the question. I, I, I believe I probably will, maybe. Uh, this game, canonically speaking, takes place in the real world, right? Yeah. Kind like of. they reference actual places several times that exist. Yeah, I th- my read because I've embarrassingly <laughs> watched the Castlevania Vania anime. Oh, that's not embarrassing. I, 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 my sister told me like I was skeptical of this, and someone else had to sell me on it, and it was great. You watch this, and oh. I was skeptical of it, and then I waited three months, and then I watched it, and I apologized to her, oh, and yeah. it was worth my time. Yeah, it's I did, just good. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was pretty good. Exactly. And I was I was shocked. This is the one little thing I'll say about the Castlevania anime is it was really weird to have watched that, then play this and have Trevor Belmont be referenced in like the <laughs> opening crawls. Like, oh, I didn't know the anime was based on like the backstory to Symphony of the Night. Mm-hmm. Even though Alucard shows up in that show, I thought that was just fan service. Mm-hmm. But um anyway. No, I have the part of like the inner turmoil, the duality of self that like drives all of my anxieties mm-hmm. is that I hesitate to engage with anything that's related to video games to the point where I'm now skeptical of games themselves sometimes. <laughs> like I see the Castlevania anime, I'm like, it's gonna be shit, and then I see Castlevania itself and I'm like, gonna be shit. I'm like, wait, stop, hold on. <laughs> Disengage. <laughs> True. But anyway, my read on the what I was originally gonna say uh, on the Castlevania universe based on this game and the anime is that it's just like a fictionalized version of our real world, but okay. like it takes place on Earth, but in Earth where vampires are real. Okay, okay. Because I again not a story heavy experience mm-hmm. this game, not at all. So the taste that they gave of referencing like real world states in places made me think that maybe the game was going for like a more literal interpretation in which it's the real world as we know it because this game is like a canonical year right it's like 13 something oh in yeah, the game. yeah it, gives it, it, it yeah. ties into like vampire mythology right, right right but like the point is is like you are in this real place during this real time but there is one place you can go in Transylvania that has skeletons and fire-breathing <laughs> dragon monsters and zombies. Like, it and might actually demons. all be localized to Dracula's castle. Like, I think that might be, like, in-universe lore, but I don't know. I have invented the new Castlevania lore in this moment. And this? So, in the next Castlevania game, it's going to be revealed that 
Cas- that uh, Dracula. I almost said Castle. <laughs> that John Castlevania. John- <laughs> the author of Castlevania. Uh, that uh, Dracula built the castle because he was foretold of a great flood. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the horrible monsters congregated. <laughs> get, so, okay. Put them in a floating it's, castle that reappears. It's like the Nega version of Noah's Ark. Exactly. It's Dracula's yeah. castle. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can find Can't a, a Co- good Konami, version of. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I forgot Konami. Yeah, though. Konami, stop making lottery machines <laughs> uh, and make this Castlevania game and pay us. <laughs> this is our call to action: like, subscribe, hire us to write your Castlevania story. Yes, lines. Konami specifically, like and subscribe, please. <laughs> Please forward this to Konami's Twitter feed over and over again until they block you. Uh, that question. Yes? What was it? Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, Is it, it is. the time? No. <laughs> no. It's, I mean, sure. Sure. It can be the time. It's a bit too culminating, but it can be the time. Do you guys think this was worth going back to? Oh man! <laughs> I'll, I'll go first because I feel like it's going to be more of a, a a slingshot for Chad to talk about other things. Okay, uh, but I think yes, and I'm glad we did it for the podcast, like I am with a lot of games. Because if I would have gone back to this just on my own time, I think I would have hit those walls I hit early on and just stopped playing it. Mm-hmm. But because we had the podcast, I felt obligated to play more. And then I was super glad that I did because I got really into it. Like, it has its rough edges, and I can imagine, like, a modded version where you instantly reload in the save room, healing items are easier to find earlier on, and, like, these little things that smooth the experience out. And, like, if you did those things, I think this would be about on the same level as a lot of other like new metroidvanias that you play like indie metroid yeah yeah like thing like i think this isn't anywhere close to as like polished and is like benefited from time as like ori and hollow knight are but if you could change a few little things about it it would push it a lot closer to those okay i i also am gonna say yes uh i think that it is good to go back to i don't as, as somebody who had essentially the opposite experience where I pushed through my few like opening walls and then got to a point where I realized I just was not going to have fun playing the game uh, and and did stop like I don't it's not because the game is bad and it isn't because there's a like an inherent problem with it I think this game is important like in the the canon of games like so to speak well like, that, that's like indisputable but yeah I, but my question primarily is get, like has playing it given you a greater understanding than the intellectual understanding of that that we all already had i had an introspective understanding of my dislike for metroidvanias <laughs> it goes back to like the the ye olde originals of the of the genre i think more than anything uh, it, it does the level design of this game is probably the most interesting thing for me. I think that the way that they chose to lay out everything and the way that everything sort of like 
falls into place and also the way the mechanics mesh or don't mesh with it at times mm-hmm. uh, are really what make me glad that I looked at the game. Okay. What do you think? I don't know. I genuinely don't know, and I've been going back and forth on it pretty consistently for my entire, like, 10 to 11 hours of playtime that I, I went through to beat all of this. Um, it's hard to get in it. Does best... that seem reasonable to you, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I was that shocked, playtime? too. Yeah. The time to beat on this game is, like, an 11 and a half hours completely. Huh. I was stunned. Completionist is, like, 17. It just feels longer than it is. That's yeah. Like, I only put in, like, seven Okay, because I put in, like, six time. hours, and I don't think that I... And I got, like, right up to the end, or the end, the, mm-hmm. the, the not true ending. <laughs> yeah, it was probably not, yeah, because complete with not true ending, I guess that makes sense. I didn't feel like I was, like, I, miles ahead of where I started. I, I actually really liked the length of the game. Like, it felt like a meaty experience without being, like, super long. Yeah. Like, you really get... The quality to quantity ratio here is pretty is pretty good. <laughs> I'll agree. Yeah. It's definitely not padded. You could make the argument that individual rooms and challenges are padded, but the game is not padded overall, I wouldn't say. But reverse castle takes less time than it would imply by its sheer size. Okay. Because there's no gating anywhere. You can go everywhere. Because you already have all the all of your shit. Right. In fact, the whole time I was, you only get like stat items, some other progression-based unlocks, and randomly one power-up that makes your a mist form turn, the poison. Into, turn into poisonous gas that damages people. And Very that's weird. it. And like everything else is just power-ups and regular equipment. Um, but as far as whether or not it is worth it, like, I felt like, and I think what you were saying, Andy, speaks to that and confirms that i could be playing games now that are definitely better than this <laughs> like a hundred percent because it has had decades to learn from the lessons of this game and the a technology unfathomable at the time of its creation yada yada uh and it's not like the narrative was there it's not like it did anything surprising i think honestly Coming to respect, since I wasn't spoiled on it, how crazy the reverse castle was as a moment might kind of be worth it on its own. But, like, the it doesn't do anything you haven't seen before. There was, It does not use what it has to create some, like, nebulous, greater sum of its parts. And I will now kind of secretly judge anyone who includes it on, like, best game of all time lists for that reason. <laughs> like, this game is, is significant... But it is not like Nirvana, right? Like, I can give you guys Metroid Prime and be, like, confident 15 years out that is an experience that is going to be better than a lot of comparable things you can do with your time. But I don't really think that's true of Symphony of the Night. I just think that it's really educational and that the time that you spend with it will allow you to learn very granularly, like, about this weird niche point in time it's almost like a not an autobiography but just like like a memoir or something it felt like i was playing a retrospective piece in a history that i wasn't a part of like that i just missed by a very brief window i'm I'm gonna tribute jj here i'm i'm going to channel your being okay castlevania symphony of the night is like if you made a cookie uh, and you rolled out the dough, 
And then you took the cookie cutter and you cut the circle in the cookie mm-hmm. and you baked that cookie. And then you had all that excess dough just like sitting there <laughs> with the circle cut out. And the circle is the game mm-hmm. and the dough, which you're just going to eat anyway, mm-hmm. because that's what people do with the cookie dough because mm-hmm. they're not afraid of salmonella. Yeah. Uh, is just like the uncooked is all the extra stuff that this game has. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is cool. It's fine if I want it. But otherwise, it's going in the fucking garbage. <laughs> I, I think at least A. Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't it maybe a little bit more of a personal read? But, like, you, you said that it doesn't really do much, like, narratively. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, like, what's lacking for me. Like, I feel like if this would have had, like, a better or more creative, like, narrative conceit, that could have been the thing that pulled it all together. Mm-hmm. But it, it really does lack that. There's barely any character interaction. Like, it's only a couple steps above, like, a Mario story. Yeah. It's Alucard storms the castle and kills Dracula. Exactly. With a couple <laughs> of scenes of you running into what's-her-face. Maria. Yeah. Mia, yeah. Maria. Yeah. Woman character. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Renard. Female. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like a like, I thought Evil Richter was an interesting idea, but you know, he gets like two scenes. Yeah. Um. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that could have helped a lot, but I do think it does a lot with like theming and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to give it props there. Yeah, the atmosphere is. Yeah, fine. I, I like better than most things at the time. As long as they're not using whoever their writer and, and or translator were. Like mm-hmm. the, the game can come across very well and get its message across. But like you are very specifically cuz I want to be clear, this game has a lot of memes about about its writing and a lot of ways people present it. You are laughing at this game. I genuinely think this game is not like trying to be hammy. Right. It's trying to be sincere and thinks the stuff that it is saying is like cool and good. Well, if anything the remake proves that Agreed. because they try and cut it out. Like, yeah, yeah, they like, hide it. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Like this game sincerely thinks that it's like Saturday morning cartoon plot is worth your time and is wrong about it in a way that is so off the kilter that it is funny. The the fact that this game opens with like a a Star Wars text scroll (laughs) is too much. And it reads it. It reads it out loud. And it takes a long time and you can't skip it, which once again I know because I had to play the intro twice. (laughs) Is your thumb ever off like the start button when you're not very rarely? <laughs> Actually, I tried all the buttons in this in this case. <laughs> I was doing the classic like whole like palming the face buttons and like just gra- like that's really... not a classic chat. <laughs> Everyone does not do that. That's a classic. What? If you want to mash all the buttons, you can just cover them all up with your like half your palms. When just... have, when have I ever needed to mash every button? Uh, uh, <laughs> look, we all do it. Okay. I, whenever, like any like time you need to like mash buttons in a game, I always just kind of do that because I don't know which buttons work and which ones don't. Like in Dark Souls specifically, when you get like grabbed by an enemy, you're supposed to mash the buttons to like struggle out of it to yeah. take less damage. So I just hammer them all because I'm not <laughs> sure which ones work and which ones don't. Yeah. Because like the con, like the triggers. And the bumpers are like the combat buttons, and the face buttons not as much. So I'm button, but you think when you mash buttons, you mash the face buttons. Oh yeah. So 100%. I just mash them all just in case. Okay, all right. This is gonna be our community <laughs> outreach question. Discord members, please tell us 
when you button mash in games, whether you mash like all, all buttons at any point, if that's a thing that you regularly do, or if you mash specific buttons in no, a testing hold on, fashion. Hold on. There are, I feel like there are specific scenarios where, unless it's specified, you mash the A button, mm-hmm. or you mash the B button, or it's just like, mash! Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need to qualify this because the person who calls for the poll always the wrong one if there's ever been a truer (laughs) statement on the no clip podcast every time somebody's been like well i gotta get like the community's feedback on this every time that person has been wrong Mm -hmm. and it's always been me up until this moment so you're just creating (laughs) causality right now yeah i'm saying that i can see the future and that anyone who responds to this query is gonna side with us on this one all right let's find out Here's what I think. I think that the question that you asked earlier was uh, a classic Chad question. And that question, that when I say it, goes a little something like, do we have final thoughts? <laughs> Correct. And then we provided final thoughts. Are there anything that you want to cover and that I'll put before all that? Agree. Also agree. Um... Unless we don't have any other thoughts, because I honestly, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a lot of depth to my understanding of Symphony of the Night, just because a lot of the, the like crunchiness discussion from the first half was most of what I what I wanted to get across, like mm-hmm. the way that the game is just kind of bad in very small, annoying ways that we've that the world has improved upon and beyond, and the ways that it is good is the same is the ways that lots of other things are good. Mm-hmm. That that's my biggest takeaway, and I think feel like I've already conveyed that. I kind of wanted to bring up how cool I think the familiars are. The- but I don't. I missed my opportunity for that. <laughs> uh, the familiars are a cool idea. I didn't get much of a chance to like fuck with them because like I know some of them require like specific shit to unlock. Uh, but I like the concept of it a lot. I like having yeah. a little companion. Yeah, I think they balanced it perfectly too. Like they're they're not too useful. Like they're just they're just right. I heard from a website that the demon familiar can press a button yep i don't know what it does it opens a door it's a secret button door that only the demon can reach and he goes i think he literally goes like this button hasn't been pressed before and then presses the button where is the button at it's uh in the underground um Mm. like the the second deepest layer i think because I used him for a little while, but I never found that. Mm-hmm. What a nice demon! There's just some. It's not like a whole new area. It's just like some items. Yeah. And they recorded a full voice acting line for it. Wow. Because <laughs> they had the space. Because the, the entirety of the game had like no maybe dialogue. two minutes of dialogue. Yeah. Maybe somebody in the recording studio just said that as like a gag, <laughs> and then they were like, "Kind of put this button in now." Yeah, we're gonna just put a button in there. I would do if I was making a game. Agreed. I would one hundred percent do that. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, without JJ, we're gonna be talking about Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, the first game in the Phoenix Wright series. Uh, with a real lawyer. (laughs) That's not a joke. (laughs) Uh, Until then, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on nocliptpodcast.com. There you can find our email address, our Twitter account, YouTube, all of our old episodes, link to our Discord. 
a stupid page about how we are not Team Eco. If anyone even remembers the genesis of that shitty joke, <laughs> I sure do. Uh, hey, smash that like button. Yeah, yeah, I think you should. I think you should definitely smash the button. Ring that bell. Yeah. This button hasn't been pressed yet. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs>